0: How important are the traditions of your life? How important are the stories that you tell and the labels that you wear as a result of those stories? This gets played out in a large measure in watching Aaron interact with King Lamoni's father in Alma 23. At the heart of this is a group of people that are converted and never fall away. The golden moment. How did this happen? How do you create a people who never fall away? Hopefully there's some answers hidden here in this chapter. Join us today for this class. And welcome to another Monday Morning Book of Mormon class with Kevin Hinckley. Recorded live, we dive deeply and deliberately into this inspired scripture. How far we get in one class depends a lot on the material and the doctrines left for us by ancient prophets. A single chapter may occupy one class or many. Of course, opinions expressed by the teacher or the class members do not constitute official church doctrines. Join us in this adventure and discover the hidden treasures found within his pages. And now, On to the class. Okay, let's begin today's class. Again, this is going to be one of those moments when uh, I was unable to uh, record our class to do some technical difficulties, so you're going to get to hear me. Uh, without uh, the comments of the class and maybe that will make it easier maybe that makes it harder I I don't really know but we'll see how this thing goes okay all right Uh, I want to start with um, one of the things that uh, I found in graduate school as a uh, psychology student was trying to figure out the psychology of people basically that is why do they do what they do? What What is the deal? Why, why do some people do one thing, others do something else? Especially when you get into like maladaptive stuff and stupid stuff. Why do people do what they do? Over time, I finally figured out uh, a basic uh, formula uh, that has kind of been confirmed also by uh, research. Uh, nothing really uh, earth shattering here, but that is that our idea of when why we choose the decisions that we choose and why we do what we do as opposed to why somebody else might do something is really based on uh, our own identity, who we see we are, how we see ourselves uh, differentiated from anybody else. Uh, How do I identify uh, looking at somebody else? What do they do? And how do I do it differently? My, My whole and that whole identity Uh, how I identify, is actually tied in pretty tightly uh, and is formed by the stories that I tell about myself and that others tell about me. Those stories, drop by drop, tile by tile, create the mosaic of um, my own uh, view of myself and I'm framed inside of that. Um, let, let, let me give you, for instance, let, let's say, for instance, that as I'm going through school, that uh, maybe things are chaotic for me at home, I don't have a chance to study, or maybe I'm, I don't learn any good uh, learning, uh, study skills. And in the process of that, though, when I start taking math classes, um, those study skills or the chaotic home catch up to me, and I tend to fail most of the math classes that I take. Not that I don't have the ability to do the math, but simply because I'm not putting in the time to do the homework. Uh, and out of that, I start developing a study of, and a dis- decision and determination on my part to say, you know what, I'm not, I'm just not good at math. Some people are good at math. I'm one of those people that is not good at math. And if I say, how do you know? Well, you can give me stories about uh the the times that you failed in this geometry class or how you struggled in that class. I'm just not good at math. Now, based on those decisions about who you are, that outlines perfectly if you're looking at college because you might look at that and say, I'm not good at math. Therefore, I'm not ever going to be able to uh, graduate from college. Or I am going to college, but I have to steer away from any major that involves math. Why? Because I'm not good at math. And how do you know you're not good at math? Well, I go back to all of those times that I failed, the stories that I tell. Uh, And even my friends would say, yeah, dude, you stink at math. Yeah, that's me. So we get this uh, view of ourselves that we get locked into, uh, and then that determines what choices are available to us what choices aren't we're locked in now in preparing for this class and looking at some things I also discovered and I don't know if I'd ever really done this that well before I noticed that while this works for us that our stories determine our who we are and who we are determines what we do that also works for societies as well that societies or groups of people, uh, whether it be a religion or, or uh, a nationality or somebody, we have a sense of identity, what it means to be an American, what it means to be a Latter-day Saint, uh, what it means to be uh, whatever, whatever that is. Now that determination of uh, who we are uh, it really goes back to the stories that are told about our group. We share with that group a series of beliefs and ideas about um, what makes us us. For instance, as a, as a Latter-day Saint, I can look out, uh, as I did this morning with my class, I can look out at them and say, okay, um, you guys are really struggling. You need to pick up your hand cart and move forward. Well, immediately those of us who are Latter-day Saints have a story about oh, handcarts and pulling the handcarts across uh, the wilderness uh, towards Utah. So that means that when that context of handcarts is something that's immediately understood by a lot of Latter-day Saints, but wait, that's understood by Latter-day Saints primarily in the United States, Canada, a little bit, and sometimes in Europe. But for the most part, if I were saying to a, a group of saints in Argentina, well, you guys need to just pick up your hand carts and get moving, that may not be a story that they relate to being Latter-day Saints because it didn't happen in their country. Maybe that's never even happened they've never even heard about the handcart well that's a problem because even though they're latter day saints they don't that's not a story that they tell it's not something that they understand uh, very very well at all now that means that which stories we tell determine a lot about how we see ourselves even if we're within like the same nationality or, or the same group. Maybe the, the best uh, way that I can frame this is if you think about in the early church, uh, we had a group of saints, uh, and I'm going to use now a, a, a U.S. reference, um, and that is that uh, early on, the, the saints, uh, as we know, were uh, driven out of uh, the city of Nauvoo after the death of the prophet Joseph Smith. Now, knowing that they had to leave Nauvoo, otherwise they were in quite some danger, they could have identified themselves as members of a kind of persecuted group uh, that were now victimized by the loss of their prophet, and they were being driven out of the United States with nowhere really to go in a fascinating turn of identity, uh, whether it was by Brigham Young or by Pure Inspiration, that identity of who they are that are leaving Nauvoo gets turned around when they begin to use the word, this is the camp of Israel. Now, by using the term Israel, or being seen as uh, Israelites, now suddenly there's a narrative that these beleaguered uh, people of Nauvoo could identify with. Because if they were Israel and Israelite, now they weren't being driven out. Now they were leaving Egypt. They were leaving Babylon. And they were, uh, as the song goes, O Babylon, O Babylon, we bid thee farewell. Where are they going? We're going to the mountains of... Of Ephraim to dwell now they were leaving Egypt and on their way to the promised land we have to admit that narrative is a much better narrative if now we are the camp of Israel on our way to the promised land well now there's a divine purpose behind this and we can see ourselves as beleaguered Israelites but we can see ourselves with a purpose and a moving forward in a way that that makes sense and enables us to go through the hardship that we went through. Now, part of that was the fact that as they left uh, Nauvoo, traveled across the wilderness as Israel, and made it to their promised land, that meant that they had left behind the world and they had formed within the mountains a place of safety and the promised land and it meant that the world was out there and they were inside and as part of that whole identification now as israelites they they were chosen israel and out there was the world so now when we talk about being in the world but not of the world we're saying we're inside our fortress of our promised land and anything on the outside out there is them And we're going to engage with the world long enough, perhaps, to go out and send missionaries out into the world. But it's with an idea of gathering Israel back to the mountains of Utah, back to the valleys of Zion. Uh, And that's where we're going to thrive and flourish because we have withdrawn ourselves from the world that seems to be so hateful and uh, persecutes us and, and our leaders. So again, we sing, Israel, Israel, God is calling, calling thee from lands of woe. Meaning, the world out there is not part of us, and and uh, we have now taken on this identification. Notice too, in doing that, they also took on a new name. It's one thing to see yourself as a Latter-day Saint or as Mormon. It's another thing to see yourself as promised Israel, covenant Israel. And that that meant divine responsibilities uh, that you have to one another, uh, to your lineage, to your tribe, if you will. And that then dictated that you were supposed to then act in certain ways that would be endemic of how Israel acts. And that's exactly what they did. So, again, this is what we see is we get this, this flow of we begin to tell stories about ourselves. Because now as they're going out, they had stories of uh, the the wagon train movements, of the hand cart movements that got them across the plains. Uh, they had a sense of that they identified with uh, Moses in the wilderness, that that was... Uh, Old Testament heritage, but it was also now their heritage because they had duplicated or replicated, and they were also Israel, which again meant how how are we supposed to respond to responsibilities and how are we supposed to act, and it worked very very well. On uh, the same same time, if if you uh, identify with a certain. Uh, political party, for instance, if that's your identity, I am a Republican or I am Democrat or I'm libertarian or whatever that is. I'm conservative, uh, I'm progressive. Those are all labels. those are all identities. Now those are all based on the stories that you're shaped by. For instance, if you if you tend to be a little bit more progressive, uh, you look at the founding of the United States and you tell, a certain kind of story about how the United States was founded. What kind of people founded the United States? If you tend to be much more conservative, you're telling the same stories about the Revolutionary War or whatever, but you're telling a much different story of that founding based on how you identify. And in each case, that's going to determine what you do, who you identify with, who you spend time around. Uh, all of that so so groups are definitely tied into have their sense of themselves and who is one of me and who is one of them who's a us and who's an other and and that may that makes a really big difference now as we look at this uh, this whole uh, formation of our stories and then our identity and, and our choices um that becomes real, comes sharply into focus when we actually look at uh, the Book of Mormon. As we get to Alma 23, we get a chance to see uh, Aaron trying to interact with Lamoni's father, the king of the Lamanites. Now, as they're doing that, listen closely to what we're saying. We're talking about uh, Aaron, who is, by nature, he's a son of King Mosiah, and he's talking to the king of the Lamanites, and, and that means that as a Nephite, Aaron has his sense, his origin stories, if you will, of how these people ended up in this promised land, and there is a Nephite story that ties back to Nephi uh, and Lehi and how that works. And now he's going to go in and he's going to preach to the Lamanites. And the Lamanites, those descendants of Laman and Lemuel, have their own origin stories of the same events, whether it's the, uh, the obtaining of the brass plates or uh, the rebellion at sea or even how they built the ship uh, or, or who gets to be king once, they, once Lehi dies. All of those are origin stories that the Nephites tell one story and have one identity and the Lamanites have a whole other story which leads to a Lamanite identity. That whole Lamanite identity is based on the fact that the Nephites uh, are robbers and liars as uh, uh, Lamoni's father has said. That means that they were robbed of their kingship and that based on that then that justified kind of robbing and pillaging and attacking uh, those Nephites who had uh, stolen their their rights to authority uh, with, within the family. That is the Lamanite identity and story. But now Aaron's going to come in and he's trying to teach them the gospel. Now, part of what we're going to find here is that uh Aaron has to take a a certain approach. Now, at the beginning of this, um, the king of the Lamanites has taken an approach so far in saying that he's he's given um, these sons of Mosiah access to be able to preach everywhere because he's been so impressed with Ammon and the way he treated his son. Now, look at what happens, though, when he says... (coughs) In in verse 3 of chapter 23. uh, Yeah, chapter 23. And and thus they might go forth and preach the word according to their desires. For the king had been converted unto the Lord and all his household. Therefore he sent his proclamation throughout the land that the word of God might have no obstruction. Then listen closely here. He says, but that it might go forth throughout all the land that, meaning for this reason that His people might be convinced concerning the wicked traditions of their fathers. Now that's pretty important, that His people might be convinced concerning the wicked traditions of the fathers. He's not saying that they they might be convinced of the truthfulness of the gospel, um, but He's going to say, the first thing that needs to happen before we ever start any of the conversion process Is that they first need to be convinced concerning the wicked traditions of their fathers. In other words, that Laman and Lemuel were wrong, that the stories that we grew up on, been sitting there for like 500 years, were not accurate. Um, And, and Mormon drops this in as well, which I think is just super powerful. If they're going to be convinced concerning the wicked traditions of their fathers, and That they might be convinced that they were all brethren. And that means that we are brethren. We are in the same group. We're identified with the Nephites. And because of that, what should we do? Well, that they ought not to murder or plunder or steal or commit adultery or any manner of wickedness. (coughs) You don't do that to your brethren. And so before they can teach the gospel, they first of all have to change the stories. They have to change the identity. Otherwise, they're never going to accept the gospel. There's no way that that happens. Now, when we, when we go forward, uh, did this work? If we hop over to verse 6 of Alma 23, he's going to say, And as sure as the Lord liveth, and as sure as many believed, or as many were brought to a knowledge of the truth, another, the truth of the false traditions, and what their true tradition was, through the preaching of Ammon and his brethren, according to the spirit of revelation and prophecy, and as a result of that, the power of God working miracles in them, the the changing of hearts, uh, the changing of uh, identity, in, if you will, I say unto you that as the Lord liveth, as many of the Lamanites as believed in their preaching and then were converted unto the Lord never did fall away. Now, I can't even think of any leader, prophet, uh, of any dispensation or any young men's president or bishop or anybody who would say, this is exactly what all of us have hoped for. That once they're converted, they never did fall away. And... A result of that, verse 7, for they became a righteous people, and in order to do that, if they changed their identity, if they changed the origin stories, they did lay down their weapons of the rebellion, that they did not fight against God anymore, neither against any of their brethren, meaning the Nephites. So it worked. But there is an order of things that needs to be done. And that is you have to change the story, you have to change the traditions, before you can actually teach the right tradition. Now, we actually have a parallel with this at the end of the Book of Mormon. We love, love, love. If we're going to hand somebody a Book of Mormon, we're going to say, hey, if you want to know if these things are true, read the Book of Mormon. And then what do we roll out? Moroni 10, 4 and 5. And when you shall receive these things, I would exhort you that you would ask God, the Father, if they're true. So often we leave out verse 3 in that, the setup to verse 4. Because what Moroni is going to tell us in verse 3 of Moroni 10 is, I would exhort you that when you read these things in the Book of Mormon, that if it be wisdom in God that you should read them, that you would remember now he's going he's to change a story here, he's going to change a narrative I would that you would remember how merciful the Lord hath been to the children of men from the creation of Adam down until this time when you shall receive these things and ponder it in your hearts, wait a minute from the creation of Adam even down to the time you'll read these things well Guess what, folks? That story, how, how merciful the Lord has been from Adam and Noah and uh, Moses and Abraham, that's not in the Book of Mormon. He's saying if you're going to understand really a lot of what's going on in the Book of Mormon, you better read the Bible. You've got to go back to the Bible and see how merciful the Lord has been. Now, I think that becomes highly important because if we're going to read in the Book of Mormon, the importance of a Savior, and we're going to, boy, are we are going to see that among the Zoramites and others. If you're going to understand the need for the Savior, you can't do that without understanding the fall and the Garden of Eden. Without the fall, there isn't a need for a Savior. And, with, and because there was a fall, then redemption is needed because we're living in a fallen world that narrative changes and the only way we can do that is if we first of all understand uh, what preceded uh, the need for that savior and that's in the Bible. Um, Now when we get back to uh, what uh, Mormon is trying to tell us he says they became a righteous people uh, back in Alma 23 they did lay down their weapons of their rebellion that they did not fight against God anymore, neither against any of their brethren. Now, he's going to give us now a list in the, in the bottom of 23, all the people who were converted, what cities they lived in, who they were, uh, and, and, and how that conversion worked. Now, as we look at this, though, if you're going to change your the, the origin stories, that leads to a change of identity. Always, 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 whenever you have a group of people that are going to change their who they are, you don't change who you are without taking on a new name. You change your name. In uh, in Catholicism, for instance, when when uh, girls, for instance, are are going through, uh, at, at age 12, and they're going through the process of confirmation, they're actually given a new name, a confirmation name, in the same way that nuns will also change their name uh, to reflect a change in their status. And... We do that in the same way uh, in saying that uh, if we're going to be baptized, we're going to take upon ourselves the name of Christ. In sacrament, we always say we're taking upon ourselves the name of Christ and always remember him. We are different. And because we're different, we need a new name. Now, here's a conundrum then for these Lamanites. Lamanite means we believed in the traditions of the Lamanites. 16, uh, verse 16. Now it came to pass that the king and those who were converted were desirous that they might have a name. Well, we're not going to be believing the traditions of the Lamanites and Laman and Lemuel. What's our name? Therefore they consulted with Aaron and many their priests concerning the name that they should take upon them, that they might be distinguished from those that hadn't yet made this mighty change that they had. And the name that they choose, and it comes to pass in verse 17, that they called their names (laughs) Anti-Nephi-Lehi's. Now, for us, we might look at that and say, whoa, shouldn't they have called it like, their names were like the Pro-Nephi-Lehi's. Or, you know, we're going to call ourselves Nephi or us, something, right? Well, actually, as it turns out, the term Anti-Nephi-Lehi, Anti in... uh, as you look through history, anti really means siding with. Part of, I'm with you. I have the same feelings and beliefs. So this is. So it really is. They called their names. We're like the Nephi Lehi's. We're we're still genetically descendants of Laman and Lemuel, but we side with Nephi and Lehi, and now we believe in those traditions. And it says, and they were called by this name and were no more called Lamanites. So they ceased to do that. And as a result, now if they're gonna do that, then does that change their behavior? Absolutely, not just in what they believe, but verse 18. They began to be a very industrious people. Uh, They were friendly with the Nephites. They did open a correspondence with them. And then this beautiful little phrase, And the curse of God did no more follow them. It has nothing to do with skin color. It has everything to do with their ability to be uh, prosperous and to be uh, effective in in all that they're doing. It changes their behavior um, because they were no longer fighting against God and fighting against the traditions. So so let let me just in uh, in closing, kind of bring it to this then. for all of us, I think so much of what we do daily, it depends a lot on how we see ourselves, uh, how we view ourselves in in relation to people around us that that sense of who we are is determined and affected a lot by The stories that we tell and that everybody else tells about us. In school, were we kind of the teacher's pet, that label? Or were we the uh, class clown? Were we the athlete? uh, Or were we kind of a nerd? All of those are identities based on stories and how people would, uh, would describe us and see us. All of those determine our choices and the things that we feel like we can do or not do in our life. Societies are the same way, that their sense of who they are depends on the origin stories about how their group came to be, and that determines everything about what choices they make among themselves and how they uh, identify as they uh, interact with, with the others, the other people who are not part of them. That is so laid out here, guys, in, in this section of Aaron helping the, the Lamanites change who they are by first changing the stories and the, and the wicked traditions that had directed so much of what they did. Once they changed that tradition, well, now they could do things differently. And they go from uh, constantly attacking and plundering and murdering to being industrious people and friendly with the Nephites and they're no longer cursed by God in terms of their ability to be prosperous. It's my sense that the the story of the Book of Mormon is watching people change, or watching people that change, but change briefly because they weren't necessarily converted. They didn't change their traditions. They didn't change their stories. If we would change people, we've got to be able to see things differently, and we've got to help other people see themselves differently. It's my prayer that as we look at our own traditions, if we look at the stories that lead to the labels that we carry, that those, are those labels helpful? Are they effective? Uh, Or do they lead us to restrict who we are and how we do it? My prayer is that we'll allow ourselves to do this and allow ourselves to be changed uh, in a way that the Lord wants to change us. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen. And thank you for joining us for another Monday morning class. Hope you enjoyed it. If you have any suggestions about future topics that we could discuss, or if you had any questions concerning something that you heard in the class, Please drop us a note. We'd love to hear from you. As always, if you happen to be in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, please come in and join us on a Monday morning. We'd love to see you and identify who you are. If the podcast itself is resonating with you, go ahead and click subscribe uh, so that Apple can figure out where we are. We'd love to, to hear from you. So again, thank you for coming, and we'll see you for another Monday morning class.